Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Hey, you guys get an extra star in heaven or a crown in heaven for, for braving the, the weather and the roads. Hey, we're going to start today off after this countdown with a little fun video. Does anyone like the 90s? Anyone a big fan of the 90s? So we're starting our uh, series called It's Just a Phase, which is all about family. And when I think of family, I often think about my favorite TV families that I grew up with or that I saw when I was a kid or that I'm watching now. So we wanted to throw up maybe a little karaoke. Uh, we got some words for you. So we want you to sing along with these TV openings. Uh, there's some some full house. You'll, you'll, you'll catch on. All right. So go ahead. Watch the video and, and sing with me. day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page and love and traditions of the grand design some people say it's even harder to find well then there must be some magic clue inside these gentle walls cause all I see is a tower of dreams real love bursting out of every scene Prince of a town called Bel Air. All right, come on now. This is the song that brought the nation together. Here we go. Sing it if you know it. Come on. In West Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, max and relaxing all, cooling all, shooting some b-ball outside of my school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said fresh in there with dice in the mirror. If anything, I could say that this cab was rare, but I thought, nah, forget it. Yo, home to Bel Air. I pulled up to a house about seven or eight And I yelled to the cabbie, yo, home, smell you later Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there To sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel-Air Yes, anybody recognize that for your childhood? Yes, so good, yes Isn't that weird that you're raising your kids of your own at this point now? Yeah, did that make you feel old? Good, great. Uh, but really, we're jumping into a new series, actually, about parenting today uh, called It's Just a Phase. And my name is Richie Christie, and I'm our student ministries director here at Kensington. And so I'm really excited about this series in particular. Uh, if you're new here, though, uh, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we plan today with you in mind. And so if you got any questions or anything like that, really a great step that you could take is after service, we have a place called Starting Point. It's a place where you can get questions answered. Uh, get connected, how to take a next step, things like that. So I'd love for you, if you're new here, to check that out. Uh, but like I said, I get the privilege of hanging out with the students here at Kensington. So I oversee 6th through 12th grade, and we're jumping into the series. It's just a phase, and it's about parenting, uh, and, and how to do it well, and, and how the church and family can come together to make the greatest impact on our students. And so I absolutely love that. And we'll be highlighting our families and student ministries over the next three weeks. Uh, We've got K-Kids. Anybody got any kids in K-Kids? Yeah, sweet. There we go. You just dropped them off. Freedom. Great. Um, but K-Kids is really birth through fifth grade. Um, and so that runs during both services down back there. And then we've got Breakaway, which is our middle school program that runs, that's uh, sixth to eighth grade that meets during this service every Sunday. So if you got a middle schooler, head back there. Uh, Chad Brown makes the magic happen down there. It's really great. And then I get to hang out on Sunday nights with our high schoolers uh, called Edge, uh, which is ninth through 12th grade. And uh, we love our students here. It's been really, really fun being a part of their lives and being in that. And I want to highlight some fun stuff going on with Breakaway right now, actually, our middle school ministry. And so unfortunately, Edge and Breakaway, we canceled them tonight because of the weather. You know, we don't want anybody driving, getting all slick and wet and weird, like, crashes and things like that. So they are going to be postponed till next week. But next week we have Breakaway United, uh, which is where we gather all of our campuses together for a night of worship and teaching and wild games. So if you got a middle schooler or know them, get them here next week. A bus will meet right at this location at 4.30 and then bring them back again at 7 o'clock for an awesome night. And then later that next month in March, we have a crazy event called Takeover. We're looking for volunteers. So if you want to hang out with middle schoolers and stay up all all night. Uh, this is a great event for you. Now, we're, we're going to be busing about 500 middle schoolers around Metro Detroit all night long between March 9th and March 10th. Uh, we're going to be going to Dave and Buster's, Trampoline Park, Legacy Center, uh, just chaos. It's going to be great. Uh, we're looking for donations of Red Bull, so if anybody has that, that would be great. Just kidding. No Red Bull. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to be with Breakaway, but for parents, for you, out of this series, we're going to have a class called Intentional Parenting, and so this is going to start the first weekend in March, because really the heartbeat of the series and really of Kensington uh, is to is to equip you guys as parents to raise your family um, the way that God designed it. And
And so we know this, that if your kid or student came to K-Kids Breakaway or Edge every week of the year, we'd see them for roughly 60 hours this whole year. You're going to get that with them by Wednesday. And so we know that you will always be the most impactful voice in their life. And so this intentional parenting class is our way of equipping you to do parenting the way that Jesus designed it. And so I really encourage you to sign up for that, get involved. Uh, You can sign up in the lobby, get connected that way. It's going to be great. And then right before that, uh, the first Friday of March, we're going to have a family event where we're getting our whole campus together for a worship night at our Troy campus. And so get the babysitters, mark the night off. This is going to be the first Friday in March. We're going to gather for a night of worship. It's going to be great. But I know that was a lot. If you got any questions or things like that, I'm going to be in the lobby at the student table. Uh, you can come uh, get maybe get some questions answered or things that you need to know about our students here at Kensington. And we got free donuts. So if you want a free donut, come meet me. I'd love to meet you, get your family connected, and students involved in our student ministries. But we're going to get going today. Congrats, guys. You braved the weather, all right? I feel like you deserve... Like a like a like a crown in heaven or something like this is this is a big deal that you made it. Uh, but really, we're gonna get going. So if you wouldn't mind to crunch and squeeze and move forward uh, to to make some room for people that are coming in, and then why don't you tell your neighbor the most obnoxious thing that your that your kid did to you this week, and uh, we'll get going. Cool. All right. not too bad just a scratch i think she needs stitches stop i know i know i'm so sorry honey girls can be mean be careful and remember everyone out there is an idiot oh honey you look so beautiful what's his name seriously look at you my goodness honey we're really proud of you Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. That's kind of a sucker punch to start the service out with, isn't it? I already see the Kleenex out in the room. And I've had the opportunity to watch this video several times in the last couple weeks, and every single time I've seen it, I have a lump in my throat. Because I'm old enough, and I've had three children, and two of them have already gone through all of those phases. 
So it's real to me. Like, I remember. I remember the day that each one of them was born. And I'm remembering the days that each two out of three have packed their bags and headed off to college. And time does. When you are at my place in life, you look back and you're like, oh my gosh. It went so fast. It was like a second. And they're gone. But some of you, some of you might be in the middle of the muck of it, right? You might have a a young one. You might have a five-year-old or a three-year-old or one that does not sleep through the night no matter what you have done. And they're nine or ten or twelve months old or eighteen months old for that matter. And you're just thinking, if only I can get there. (laughs) If only I can make it. If we can both live through this time. If we don't kill each other. If we can just get there. It will be a win. We're all at different places. And some of you, some of you don't have kids at all. But you have kids that you have influence over or that you have known in your life. And this is an important series for everyone in the room. It's a parenting series. We're kicking it off today. It's called, just like Richie says, it's just a phase. And oftentimes as parents or even aunts and uncles or relatives to kids, we think, oh my gosh, the terrible twos, if they can just get through the twos, right? If we can just, if we just battle it out and get through the twos. But guess what? Some woman did tell me this, and I'm not kidding you. In my mommy's playgroup thing we had when Andrew was little, she's like, if you can just get to three, three's awesome. All right, she lied. That is not even close to what my threes look like in my house. Not even close. We battled it out for control and for rules. It was not easy. And as parents, oftentimes we're like, if we can just get through it, if we can just make it through this phase, we're going to be okay. But we're going to redirect that in this series, and we're going to talk about it is just a phase, but don't miss it. Press into it because it does go quickly. And when you're in the middle of it, you're hoping it goes quickly. But the reality of it is, is there will be a day that you will look back and think it was like a second. And that's why we're doing this series. It's important as parents that we talk about it and that we look to God and see his direction for the family. So I wanted to start out this series to give you some pictures. I am not a picture taker in my family. So the last picture I have of all of us together was this uh, fall when my son was playing. There we go. We went to a game to watch my middle son play. So on the right are my three kids. Adeline, um, she had her, she had an ankle injury at the time. But that's my 15-year-old who's at Athens High School. And my middle, the one in the middle is Mitchell. He's my junior at Wheaton College. And the one on the right is Andrew. And he's in graduate school in Grand Rapids. And those. Um, Oh, and the picture on the left is the whole family with the girlfriends, because that's the family picture I had. (laughs) It was awesome, and they are terrific. So that is the family that um, Paul and I have been blessed with and been involved with. Obviously, uh, my oldest son is 23. Is that right? 22, 23, somewhere in that range. You lose count when you're as old as I am. But we have been blessed to be a part of that. But I want to just say that doing family is difficult. Figuring out family is difficult, isn't it? Because when Paul and I got married, we each had different families of origin. We each came with different expectations and ideas of how the family should play out. Paul's family, they ate dinner every night at 6 o'clock. Every night at 6 o'clock. I mean, they would go out to dinner occasionally, obviously. But his mom, when she would do errands, she would come home in the middle of the day to have dinner or to have lunch with whoever was home. And then she'd go back out and finish her errands. 
And Paul had enormous freedom as a kid. He was given like power equipment at the age of four years old. Like he was given like dirt bikes and things like that. And he was allowed to like use them. <laughs> I mean, my kids got battery operated things at that age, right? But he was given great freedom and was given great av- the ability to have adventure at a very young age through his life. I came from a single parent home, so my world looked very different. We were all girls in my home, and our best conversations were in the bathrooms. We were getting ready, we would hang out, we would talk and talk, and dinner was often raw cookie dough while we watched Dallas on TV. And never around a table, ever. And we had busy schedules. But my mom was a single parent, and she worried about a lot of things. So we had a lot of rules in our house to keep us safe. So I came from a very different world than Paul did. And just trying to figure that out, if you've been married, that's a job in and of itself, isn't it? And it never hits home until you start having kids. And then all of a sudden, everything comes into the light. Your thoughts, my thoughts, how it should blend together. And another thing that Paul and I found over the years is that time doesn't stop. You have not, how many exactly? I forget. I'm getting confused right now. You have 936, 936 weeks from birth to graduation. Just sink that, let that sink in for a minute. 936 weeks from the day they're born until the day they pack that suitcase and they head out. That's really not a lot of time. And no matter what you do in that time, whether you're winning or losing, whether you're doing things all perfectly or you're totally failing and messing it up, time doesn't stop. And I love that Andy Stanley had a quote, and he says, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do. It might not be your job. It might not be some volunteer work. It might not be something that you pour your hours and your resources into. Instead but rather someone you raise. Not something you do, but someone you raise. And I agree with him in that. Because here's the other thing that happened as Paul and I started to go through life trying to figure out how to be married and how to have a family and how to raise our kids, is that we were never intended to do it by ourselves. We were never intended to do it by ourselves. We use a curriculum called Orange at our church all the way from birth to high school. It's the same curriculum we use for all the ages. It's obviously geared toward different ages. And the reason that it is called Orange is because it's the idea of two colors coming together. So red and yellow equals orange. Now, I grew up in a home where my mom was an art teacher, so we talked color theory around our table and design elements like my kids talked football. So for me to understand that red and yellow, which are two primary colors out of three, blue is the other one, they are the basis of all color and all design that we enjoy in the world. Three colors. The different blendings of those colors are actually wavelengths. They're light wavelengths, technically. And the way that those blend defined everything we see. And I'm going to say that that's the significance of the orange being um, made out of red and yellow. Because here's what they stand for. Red is the home, the heart of the home. You think of a red heart as the heart of the home. Yellow is the church. That would be the light of God. You can use it as that like analogy, the light of Christ in the church. When you mix red and yellow, when you mix, mix your home life into church life, when you connect those two voices into your kids' lives, two influences are always, always, always better than one. And that creates orange. And that's kind of the idea of what this parenting series is about, especially today. How does the church work with the home, and how does the home work with the church? 
And here's an inter- interesting visual for you right here. So, you have in a year around 3,000 hours with your kids. You have 3,000 hours to pour into them, to talk to them, to win or lose with them. You have 3,000 hours with your kids. The church, Richie said, 60 hours. If you make every single high school event and, and service this year, every single one, which won't happen, right? You'd have 60 hours. So I'm going to just say, let's say the church is 40 hours. Your, your kids will have 40 hours of church time a year. When you look at that and you think, gosh, the church better have an impact on my kids. They better figure out, you know, who God is. That's why we're going to church, which is important. Oh, so important. And a win that you're here a hundred times over. There's one thing I have noticed about the people of our campus, of our campus, of Shelby campus, is that you guys love your families. You pour into your families. This is an environment. They've said of our church compared to other campuses when people come is that we have a family feel at our church. That's because of who you are. It's in your DNA. Not anything we've done, but because of who you are. But 40 hours just doesn't cut it, does it? That's not enough to get the spiritual influence that we want our kids to have. So what happens if we combine red and orange? I mean, here I did it wrong. Red and yellow, we get orange. And that's the combined influence that's so much stronger than the home or the church separated. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the phases of child development in essence, which is all from this orange curriculum that we think so highly of. And we're going to talk about the influence you have as a parent and the influence that we have as a church and how to interconnect the two. So we'll start out with the first phase, which is called the embrace phase. And the embrace phase is zero to five years old. Those are those cute little sweet angels that have the big cheeks, you know, and the hair that sticks up all over the place. And they're so darling until they cry or they throw up on you and they just run all over the place. Or I'll never forget Andrew in his little footies, like so cute with a Sharpie marker that he had just decorated our back door with all over his face in the same hand, like this. Like, so cute, I want to kill you, so cute, you know? But they are, that's that age. And as as parents, it's instinctive to us to parent around them with the word embrace. We want to protect them. Because that's what you spend your entire time doing, keeping them alive. (laughs) Don't run out in the street. Don't touch that. It's dangerous. That's a knife. That's hot, right? That's what we do in those first five years. We instinctively know that our kids are asking two questions during that time. Am I loved and am I safe? Am I loved and am I safe? And as parents, we spend a lot of time in those years, and grandparents do too, and aunts and uncles telling them how much we love them and to keep them safe. That's our full-time job. And the church is doing the same thing. Our early childhood program back there does the exact same things. They're telling them that God loves them through story after story, Sunday after Sunday. And they're also telling them that they are safe, that God is safe for them to run to. The foundation in that embrace phase. And how do you connect the dots during those times as a family? How do you connect with the church and become orange? You ask your kids what they're learning. You take the curriculum page that it's this beautiful sheet back there that Carol has. And you you reiterate the same stories they're hearing Sunday at bedtime on Wednesday. And one of the things that Paul and I did during this phase of our children's development is we joined a small group. And it was a small group with families that were in the exact same phases that our kids were in. And we started to do life with them because let me tell you, we made a ton of mistakes. And I needed a friend who was going to say, don't quit. 
keep going. We needed a group of people that we could challenge and be challenged by during that time. And that was our small group. And I have some pictures. Pam, my friend who's, who works here, our discipleship director now. That's how old we are and how long we've been friends. These are pictures. She actually was sending me these pictures this week when I was working on the message. And I'm like, I'm using these pictures. These are awesome. So the first picture you see um, are, are our two boys. So it's our two oldest boys are in the front of this tent that they they'd love to venture at their house. Jeff would set up tents with them. So that's Andrew and Jacob in the front. And do you see how like the younger boys have like four inches of the tent in the back? And the older boys are like, yes, we own this place, right? So fun. And then the next picture was us at a playland in the middle of the mall. And we, I, anybody notice anything strange about that picture? Like, do you see that the women are holding all the kids and the guys are like having a fun conversation? Anybody see that? Anybody think that's wrong? No, that was awesome. But honestly, here's the funny part about the whole story is we had four kids at that point between us and we don't even know where the other one was. Like, who knows? No idea where Jacob is in the picture. But that was our life, and we loved the fours, and we loved the people in our small group, and we were able to do things outside of the church together and have conversations about God with each other and with our kids. Small groups are super important during that first phase. The second phase is the engaged phase. And this is kindergarten through fifth grade. So these are all those elementary kids. And their brains are like sponges. They're taking everything of the world in all over the place. They have radar out and they're just collecting information during those years. And this is the years that we need to engage them in lots of activities. Give them options to see all the things that are out there for them. And I have to say in the back, our K-Kids programming is top-notch. That's why we're doing Pineapple Mayhem right now. It's a program that we've started for the next three weeks, and it's to give the kids a chance to come in and get points and participate at home and invite a friend and memorize verses. We're engaging the kids both at home and in the church. And our job as parents during this time is to answer the questions that the kids are asking, which is, do I have what it takes Do I have what it takes? Even these little young kids are running around. Do I have what it takes? And as parents, we're to answer that as the church is doing the same thing. And the answer is always, yes, you do. And I want to explore that with you and share that with you and cheer for you. And then the encourage phase kicks in. And that's middle school, encourage phase. And something shifts during this time. And I want you to even think back on your middle school years and what that was like for you. There's a shift that happens from parents during this time to kids, and this is what it is. We take a step back. Because all of a sudden, they're bringing home homework that we don't know how to do, right? And they're actually starting to do sports or band or different activities that we think, gosh... They're going to, they need help. I can't help them with that anymore. I need to get an expert in. So as parents, that's what we do with great intentions. So we start hiring coaches and music instructors and maybe one-on-one mentors or tutors for school, whatever that looks like. And our voices disappear or become quieter. Something shifts in our brain that we don't think we have what it takes to influence our kids And we rely on everyone else to speak into them. But here's the interesting thing. More than any other phase of your child's life, this is a phase, and if you can even remember back to your own life during this time, the parents need to speak into their kids more than ever. More than ever. Because this is what they're trying to discover during these years. Their identity. Who they are. 
And isn't it interesting that fifth and sixth graders kind of come out and they, they all have their little quirks and they're fun and they jump around and they might sing places and they don't care what people think. But the time they get to seventh or eighth grade, they all look the same, everyone dresses the same, and we all talk the same, don't we? So who's giving your kids their identity? Who are they relying on to tell them who they should be and how they should act? Each other. Or the professionals that we have brought in to help our kids be better at X, Y, and Z. This is our time as parents to lean in and speak life into those kids. Don't you want their identity to be grounded in who God says they are? That they're terrific? That they're wonderfully made? That they're beautiful? And that God has a design that's distinct just for them? They don't have to wear the same boots and the same coat as the blonde standing next to them. No. They are who God made them to be and to cheer for them during those years. And I'm going to say, I failed in this. I didn't do this well. I kind of liked going with the crowd. It was the way I was when I was in those middle school years. I was tall. I was awkward compared to my friends. And I wanted nothing. I would bend down like, oh, I hated how tall I was in those years. And I did the same to my kids. I remember Mitchell struggled with a teacher in school for a couple years. And that teacher, unbeknownst to me, really played on his identity in a huge way, negatively. And it wasn't until Mitchell got to school, actually college later, that he began to unravel the damage that that teacher had done in his life. Because here's what I, we need to hear. God never stops parenting our kids. God never stops parenting us. So thank him for that. And God continued to work on Mitchell and remind him and tell him again that no, he is not stupid. He is bright and he is needed in God's kingdom to go forth and be who he was identified to be by God himself. And that happens in our lives. I didn't step into that at all. I was like, oh, you need to do with it. You've got bad teachers. So what? We all have bad teachers, Mitchell. Suck it up. Figure it out. Do the homework. I never understood the damage that was happening. And even if I did, I took a step back as a parent and I missed it. But God redeems every, I hear that right now, parents, like God redeems what we miss because he's in it. So that's why the, um, so the, um, I'm off here. The encourage phase is super important that we step into that. Breakaway, small groups. Breakaway retreats. These are the things we do at church. Get to know your small group leader of your kid. Invite Chad over for dinner who's our breakaway leader. Can you imagine what your middle schooler would think if the breakaway leader was sitting at their table eating dinner with the family? Like that you actually wanted to have a relationship with his friends and his small groups. Have parties for his small group. Get these kids in your life. Because I'm going to say in middle school, if you sit down with your middle school boy, and I had two, and you're like, all right, tell me about your day. Right? What happens? They're like, I'm out of here. There's, you're not going to get a word. But how are you going to get them to engage? You need to engage with them in activity. You need to feed them. <laughs> Very important. And engage with them and ask them questions as you go. High school. High school is the empower phase. This is a fun time. I love high school. And this has been a great time in my kids' lives. But it's also one of the most difficult times as a parent sometimes. The empower phase is where your high schooler is naturally starting to pull away from you, which is healthy to a certain extent. But this is what they're looking for. They're looking for adventure. And there's lots of places in the world they can find adventure, right? Lots of things happen Friday night at Joe's party where they can find adventure. 
So what do we do as parents during this time? Because they're asking deep questions. Do I belong? This is when sometimes they grapple with their faith more than any other time in their life. How do we step into that as parents and parent that well? Well, the way we do it is we create adventure. We create adventure. And I am horrible at this. Remember, my mom had rules and I liked them. My husband is awesome at this. He had our van loaded with toilet paper rolls and his keys. And he, at midnight, one in the morning, was always game to drive a load of kids in that van. I'm not, like, no seatbelts, shoved in the floor, whatever it took. And he would show up at their friend's house and TP it and be out of there. And those were the stories that they would tell the next day and the next day. If there was a hot wing competition, we were in it. My husband was in it. And when the girlfriend broke up with the boys and they came to our house upset... We would talk about what that looked like in our lives and what God called us to and even mistakes Paul and I made when we were dating. And we, we had real adult conversations with these kids. But it doesn't happen because you look at them and say, spill your guts, I want to know what's going on in your life. It happens because we were engaged in adventure with them. And that created space for them to trust us and to open up with us. And we do that at Edge. Richie Christie, who's up here, man, that guy lives for adventure. He's so much fun. He's a party in and of himself. But Edge, man, I'll never forget the day that Andrew decided that he wanted to go to Israel in ninth grade on a mission trip. And my first reaction, which is always my first reaction, was like, no. Absolutely not. I'm that mother who's like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that, right? And I was like, no, it's not safe in Israel. I don't even know what's happening over there, but it can't be good. And you're not going. You're in ninth grade. And honestly, I even had some issues with the leadership. It was at our church. I worked there. And I'm like, we don't have enough leadership. We don't have enough rules. These kids are on their own. What's going I mean, I was nuts. And my husband's like, Kristen, you need to stop talking. And you need to let Andrew go. And he did, and he went. And he came back, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Mom, it was awesome. My roommate, I farted the first night, and it was so gross, he threw up. It was awesome. You know, he's seriously telling the story. And I'm like, all right, that's, what are we celebrating here? And then he's like, but, Mom, here's some stuff God taught me and some things I need to repent and change in my life. I couldn't have done that with him that week. That was God parenting my son when I wasn't there. And he also met a buddy Jacob Claude, who he still is in contact with almost weekly, and they hold each other up spiritually as brothers in Christ. No matter, they live in different states and they're going through different things in their lives, but they hold each other up. That couldn't have happened if I kept him home. So give your kids the chance to experience adventure the way God designed it, not Friday night at Joe's house. Instead, in a context where they can learn who he is, and then God is fun too. Why do you think he made mountains and streams that go fast? He loves adventure as well. Let your kids experience that in high school. So where does this fit in scripture? What does God say about parenting? We're going to look at a story in Deuteronomy. Moses was the leader of the Israelites, and he um, had just taken them through a series of miracles and amazing things that God did out of a land of captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. They had no land that they could call their own. They had been persecuted and held down, and now finally God saw fit to deliver them. So they saw all these miracles, and now they're in this wilderness, and they're walking around waiting for the land of milk and honey, which God had promised them. And they get to the border of that land. And this is the moment, right? This is the moment for all the Israelites. Yes, that's our land God told us about. And they looked over the border and they saw big armies 
big people, lots of people, and they said, oh, no, God, you must have made a mistake. And they said, we're going to send some spies in. We're going to take this on our own, on our, under our own control. We're going to be wise. We're going to send some spies in. And those spies came back and 10 said, you'd be crazy to get in there. We'll all be killed. And two said, no, 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 let's go for it because God is faithful. And what God says, we will do. And they got outvoted. And the whole camp of Israelites wandered the opposite direction for 40 years in the wilderness instead of taking the land that God promised them. So now here we are, 40 years later, it's the end of Moses' life. A whole generation died in that wilderness, and now these are the kids of the kids. And they're standing with Moses, and this is basically Moses' last words to these families. So imagine the scene. Everybody is there. It's not just the priests he was talking to, the Levites. It wasn't just the parents he was talking to. It wasn't just the grandparents he was talking to. He was talking to all of Israel, baby to grandparent, and this is what he has to say. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son, daughter, and your grandson and granddaughter might fear or respect, you can use that word as well, the Lord your God, to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. So here's the system God is saying, hey, listen, this isn't just for you personally. This is for a legacy. You, the impact you will have if you keep my commandments and you teach them to your sons and daughters is that you will, A, have a long life. It's a promise. It's a benefit. But B, it will be a game changer all the way to your grandchildren. So that's, I want that. I want to be that kind of parent. I want my words and what God has done in my life to have an impact all the way to generations after me. That's unbelievable. Who doesn't want that, right? So how do you do it? Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So here it is, the heart. The heart is the epicenter of your emotions and your intellect. The heart. Your soul is your identity. And your might is, is, your, is your strength. It's your, it's your actions. And do we love the Lord our God? See, all those phases are terrific. And they're helpful, right? But I didn't know any of those when I had my kids. I had no idea what I was doing. But this is what matters the most. If you get nothing out of today but this, this is what you need to hear. As a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. Once that changes, once we learn from the great parent, once we pour into him, our parenting changes. Our choices change. The words we even tell our kids, the wisdom we give them, it all changes based on our relationship with God. So if that's all you take out of today, you've won. You've won. And it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. But the scripture continues in verse 6. How do we do it? We love our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind. How does that play into every single day? That sounds kind of ethereal, doesn't it? This is what he says. These commandments, Israel, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
Impress them on your children. Interesting word, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What does that mean? Our influence as parents, our influence combined with the church matters. And we need to step into conversations. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, there's no way. I don't know the Bible at all. I'm not even sure. I'm coming Sunday to learn myself. That's exactly where you need to be. Talk to your kids about that. Why do you go to church? Do your kids even know other than that they have to get out of bed early? Why do you care about being here today? Because you're making changes in your life to be here. This was not random that you're all here today, especially in that weather, right? There's a value you have. Do your kids know why? You don't have to have the answers, but you do have to be willing to look into the answers with your kids as a family combined together. God does not live here. He doesn't live in this building. He doesn't live in churches. He lives in you. He lives in your hearts. That's where he lives. So he's home with you, whether you know it or not. He's in the van when you're driving your kids to their soccer practice. He's in you, and so therefore he's everywhere. So let's draw on his strength. You know, when we... um, I'm going to actually lead into a video right now instead I'm looking at time and I'm going to reverse my order here there's a bunch of teenagers that come to our campus actually that, uh, that Richie Christie was able to interview and they talk about what this looks like in their homes how their parents have impressed on them as well as how the church has impressed on them what God calls them to be so check this video out testimony of what you've done in their life. So we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Cool. Why don't you guys share a little bit about how you guys met and became so close? We text, we call, we Snapchat, social media, man. (laughs) Bonded a lot, worshiped together. Yeah, when we're worshiping at Edge, he'll he'll be sitting down struggling. I'm like, I got you. God's with you and all that stuff, and we're just there for each other ever since then. He's just a brother who's got my back. He's a brother who's got my back. That's awesome. So how do you feel like your, like what you learned with your families or through Edge and Breakaway like set you up to really bring your faith outside of church? Yeah, Breakaway and Edge is such a place where you just walk in and you're safe and it's literally like my second home and my (laughs) lifelong friends like my best friends are from edge like that I met and built relationships with and everyone who goes are just real and like they they want they care about you like you'll walk in and you'll be alone and someone from edge will be like hey come sit with me my friends like and I 
couldn't encourage you more to just go for it. Yeah. So one of the small group leaders at, at Edge, um, I met with her towards the beginning of the year, and she was talking about how when you get to college, there's one of two outcomes. Either you continue to follow Christ or you fall off and you fall into the ways of the world. And I think that just, like, really shifted my perspective and I was like wow like I only want to like follow Christ can you guys like recall maybe a specific moments um, at home with mom and dad or the family where like you really saw your parents leading you to Jesus and helping your relationship with God my parents came to this church because of the K-Rock program that was here and that was the year my parents almost got a divorce, actually, so it was super hard for my family. You know, my parents, like, definitely could have taken the easy way out and, like, left each other, but the service that was going on, like, the message that they heard was, like, in a marriage, like, you got to fight for one another and you got to fight for your family. Like, sometimes it's going to be hard. Like, my family isn't perfect. Like, we have our issues a lot, but because, like, we have God we have like a foundation. In sixth grade, my father passed away, and that was probably the hardest times for me, seventh and sixth grade. That's when I really started to like think about thoughts of suicide, and my mom stayed really, really strong while I got really low, and she would take, she would take me to church every Sunday morning and talk about every single day how God is great and why he will never leave you no matter what, even at your lowest times. So what would you say to like families or students um, of kind of the importance of creating God at the center of your family environment? Well, what me and my family do is before dinner we pray and we read a little bit of scripture. I think that that's also really important because it's just a time that our whole family can connect and talk about God, which really doesn't happen because we're all so busy. I wouldn't be here without my parents. I wouldn't be at this church. I wouldn't even believe in God without my parents. And to think of that, it's pretty insane because my like your parents have such a huge impact on who you are, like as a person, and who you become. And there's so much importance in like pouring into your kid and letting them know how loved they are and how much Jesus loves them too. I love that video. I love how Hannah ended it. That really because her parents loved God so much, they were able to teach her how to love God and she felt loved by them. So powerful. And those kids, that's like a real deal. Those two boys in that video that you just like want to wrap your arms around, do you know that they sit up in the front every Sunday night at Edge with a mess of, of freshman boys that have their hands raised in worship and they are going at it? They are leaders because they believe in who God is and they're not afraid to be who they are and who they were created to be. Don't you want that for all our kids? I want that. So powerful. I want to close today with a story, and before I start the story, I'd like to receive our offering. For those of you who are new at our campus, sit back and relax. This is a time for you just to let go by. But for those of you who called Shelby Campus home, this is a chance for you to give back out of the generosity that God has given your home, the resources that you have in your home that you're able to share. So, my boys... My oldest boy, which some of you know, when he was 10 years old, 
was diagnosed with cancer, and during that time, it was a tough time in our family. But because of the chemo and the amount of chemo that he was under, he couldn't be in public often because he was susceptible to all sorts of bacteria, viruses, any kind of bug. So we ended up missing a lot of church during those years, a lot of it. And I remember my husband, one Sunday, he went and got this old yellowy book off the bookshelf, and it was this children's Bible stories. And it was a book he had gotten from his parents. It was a book he actually had gotten from his dad. And he sat down with the kids one day, and he's like, hey, we're going to do something called home church. We started calling this thing home church. And he opened up that book, and he read these stories. Like, we didn't know what we were doing, right? These stories were like, this book was probably written in like 1910 or something. It Like, the language in it wasn't even language that we use now. And he would read these stories, and then he'd ask the boys, so what do you think? Does this mean anything to you? And he'd ask Addie, she was little at the time, she was probably two or three years old, and he'd say, what do you think about this? And we didn't always have the answers, and they sometimes have very interesting questions, things we didn't know. How to, I don't know what you're doing, I don't know how to answer that. But he was real, and they saw their strong dad sit in front of them and tear up. They saw him be vulnerable, they saw him crack under the life that we were leading at that time and the pressures that we felt and the fear that we had. And they watched him be real. And at the same time, they watched him in his brokenness show incredible strength because he pointed them back to who Jesus was. And I think that book belonged to his parents. And, you know, I think about his dad, Elmer. And Elmer was a guy who... His dad struggled with alcoholism, and when he was a young kid, 12, 13 years old, he would go down to the corner bar to bring him home at night. Can you imagine, right, that kind of life? But that was Elmer's book that he passed on to his son. Elmer wasn't perfect, man. He had a spitfire anger. (laughs) He was German, and he worked hard at his job. But what we knew very clearly about Elmer is that he loved us and would do anything for us. And he loved God. And he wasn't afraid to talk about God sitting in his teal rocker chair. I remember it right in front of the window. And he would talk about what God taught him or some clip he'd gotten or some verse he learned or something. And he shared that to Paul, who then shared it to our boys. And this is what's interesting. Recently, we had a conversation with our kids and we had some different diamond rings and some different rings that we've gotten from our relatives in a bag. And our sons were interested in them. And I remember they came out of the room, and you know what they fought over in that room? Not the diamond rings, not the wedding rings that we had from our parents. It was this ring, Elmer's ring. Because of the impact that he had, he wasn't perfect, but he knew who God was. And he chased after him. And God parented him when his dad didn't. And that played out into the man that I married and into the sons and daughter, strong daughter that I have. That's what I want to be like. And we're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up today. In an hour, you are going to say things you wish you never said. But God is faithful to redeem what we break. So let's lean into him as parents. Let's do that. Because generations are waiting to see that you don't even know and haven't met yet how you will impact them because of your faith. He is faithful.
just wanted to quickly introduce this next song. Um, some of you may know it, some of you may not. Um, it's one of my favorite songs. I feel like I say that a lot. But this one, um, it's simple and the melody is beautiful. Um, and the picture that it paints is absolutely beautiful as well. Um, and just the theme of it is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Giving your burdens to him. Being there in that quiet place and letting him pour out over you. And so my challenge this morning, just as, as we're in this moment, just the last couple of songs, I just want you to picture, I, when I picture my time with Jesus, um, it's this room, it's just this white room, I just enter into his presence, and he's just sitting there, just in all of his glory, and I just get to come crying, happy, angry, excited, whatever it might be, and I just get to come into this place, which is just me and him. And so some of you are visual people, um, but my challenge is this morning, let's, let's try to enter into a place like that. Let's come before the Lord and just sit at his feet. And I'm a new parent. I've just started this journey um, and this opportunity, and it's been awesome. Um, and like Kristen said, it kind of comes naturally right now. We're just trying to keep Indy alive and happy, and so far she's doing great. So, um, But I've got worries, and I've got anxieties. It might seem small in comparison to, to you that have kids going off to college or just this next big thing. Um, but I love what Kristen said also, that it's not too late. It's not too late to lay our parenting or that phase that's in front of us to the Lord. To say, hey, God, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know what the next thing is. I don't, I don't know the exact prayer to pray right now, but Jesus does. And so I just, I just want to take time in this next song. You guys can sing it out if you guys um, catch on to it. But I just want you guys to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, hey, this is where I'm at as a parent. I want to give this to you.
you guys stay up here with me for a minute, okay? We're going to end the service today by actually saying out loud, as a degree, as a, a belief in our hearts, we're going to read Deuteronomy 6 as a family here today. Because that's what God has designed for us to take home and live out in our family. So let's start today. Let's not lose hope. Let's not be discouraged. Because God is great and he redeems what we are going to mess up tonight, tomorrow, and what we've already messed up in the past. Let that go. Give that to him. And let's start begging him to control and to show us how to parent because he's the best parent there is. So join with me now. We're going to read in Deuteronomy right up here. Let's read this together. All you parents up here with me. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the roads, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frame of your homes. Amen. Amen. So you guys have a, yes, it's a good day. You guys have stickers. I think they handed you stickers when you came in, and that has that verse on that. So put it somewhere where you can remember that you are not alone in this journey. Hope to see you next week. Go back. Have fun. Give your kids kisses today for me, okay?